0: Good morning. I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles and make your way uh, to the Old Testament book of Proverbs. So if you find the book of Psalms, which is in the middle of your Bible, and then just uh, turn one book towards the back of your Bibles, you'll find a book of Proverbs. And uh, we're going to be looking at one proverb this morning. We're going to be considering Proverbs chapter number 14, In verse number 34, Proverbs 14, verse number 34. In Proverbs 14, verse 34, we read this simple instruction from Solomon, who wrote the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 14, verse 34 Righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. The title of the message this morning is Righteousness Exalteth a Nation. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the time we could be in your house this morning. Lord, we confess to you our own sins and iniquities. We want to be right with you. And Lord, I pray that we've taken time to do that prior to the services, that we've cleansed our heart and ready to be here to worship you and serve you and hear from you. Lord, as we approach uh, July 4th, Independence Day, Lord help us to think about how that this nation has been so blessed through the years. and Lord, this certainly uh, this proverb gives us an indication why that's been the case. And Lord help us to look at this proverb this morning as the key to us continuing to be blessed as a nation. Lord help us as your people to honor and glorify you. Lord, help us this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Righteousness exalteth a nation. We say happy 247th birthday to these United States just a little bit early. Tuesday is Independence Day. It is a day to celebrate the birth of this great nation. Now, of course, Independence Day commemorates the uh, ratification of the Declaration of Independence as it was ratified on July 4, 1776 by the Second Continental Congress. The Declaration of Independence is the founding document of the United States and it was signed by 56 delegates to the Second Continental Congress and if you look up the history of these men, they sacrificed everything, uh, their, their possessions, their prestige, in some instances their lives, so that they might sign off on this founding document of the United States. And, and you know, I trust, I've actually read the Declaration of Independence to you, uh, in years gone by, but perhaps the most noted, the most noted uh, excerpt from the Declaration of Independence is this: We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with the capital C, with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So very clearly, the framers of the Declaration of Independence, and of course you know that there was a committee of five people that looked over the document that was drafted by Thomas Jefferson and then it was adopted by the Continental Congress. Very clearly, they collectively believed in a creator. And they very, very uh, just openly believed that there were certain rights that uh, the citizens of a nation should have and did have that were bestowed upon them by this Creator. And of course, evident in the words that I just read in the Declaration, is the Framers' view of what government's role should be and how it should function. And of course, in our text that we read in Proverbs 14 and verse number 34, Solomon is giving instruction as to how a nation can thrive. Listen, you can be a nation and not thrive. There are plenty of third world countries today that are in fact a country, a nation, but they're not thriving. Well, how can a nation thrive? Righteousness exalteth a nation. A nation thriving is contingent on practicing righteousness and yes, putting away sin. Now, As you know, this is not a popular message today, but it is desperately needed. We as the Lord's people need to think about what Solomon writes in Proverbs 14, verse 34, that righteousness exalteth a nation. Now as we think of our freedoms that we enjoy and the benefits of being a citizen of these United States, We must ponder God's Word. Righteousness exalteth the nation. Now to help us do so, ponder these words, and assign meaning to them that will help us as citizens of the United States and as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, I want us to see that the text verse gives rise to three questions. Three questions. Here they are. The first question. What is righteousness? What is righteousness? So, we will give you a definition. What is righteousness? We'll see its definition. The second question the text gives rise to is how do we recognize righteousness? We will see it displayed. And then the third question... In what way does righteousness exalt a nation? Well, we will see that it is diverse. It is diverse. So three questions that we should uh, examine from Proverbs 14, verse 34, that will help us as we think about how we can thrive as a nation and how righteousness exalteth a nation. We begin with the very base, most basic fundamental question, What is righteousness? And I give you a definition. So, what is this righteousness that exalteth a nation? The word righteousness is used in several ways in Scripture. And of course, you and I can't be saved without having the righteousness of Christ imputed unto us, so that we stand right before God. That's not the righteousness that Solomon is writing about here as it pertains to righteousness exalting a nation. That's the imputed righteousness of Christ that I just referred to. That's different than this righteousness. So what is this righteousness that exalteth a nation? Well, let's, let's define this righteousness. The Hebrew word in verse 34, righteousness, literally means justice. And it is translated multiple times in your Old Testament, in your English Bible, it is translated justice. In fact, there are really only two ways that it's translated it's translated either righteousness or justice. And so it means justice, it means rightness. Rightness. What is right? That's righteousness. And then, thirdly, it is described and defined as. Moral virtue. This is the righteousness that Solomon is writing about when he says that righteousness exalteth a nation. Justice, rightness, and moral virtue exalt a nation. Now let's go a little bit further, right? I said to you that the definition of righteousness is justice. Well, what is justice? Justice is very clearly and very succinctly described and defined for us in the Word of God as what is morally or legally right. What is morally or legally right. Justice differs from judgment because judgment is a verdict or sentence based on what is morally or legally right. And so as we think about these further definitions, we can deduce that righteousness is justice as it is judged by our leaders and by our citizens as to what is morally or legally correct and that we as a nation practice that individually and collectively. Solomon is referring to righteousness as it is practiced by a government. Righteousness exalteth the nation. What is morally right and legally right? What is Practiced as far as judgments go by a government, that is what Solomon is referring to. And when a true nation's citizenry, righteousness is true, when a nation's citizenry will practice justice, judgment, and moral virtue towards one another. In other words, you could have a government that is standing for righteousness. But if its citizenry is not practicing righteousness, you don't have a you don't have a situation where righteousness is going to exalt a nation. In that situation, righteousness is perverted. And so we're talking about this first question that is 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 posed here in uh, Proverbs fourteen and verse number thirty-four. We're talking about righteousness exalteth the nation. What is righteousness? We're giving you a definition. So, having defined righteousness, we now move to, in in answering this question, what is righteousness, we now move to the discovery of righteousness. It's one thing to know what righteousness is, but, but where do we discover righteousness? What is morally and legally right? What is justice? Well, let me ask you this. What is the basis of moral righteousness? Here's where our nation has a problem today. Because most people think that the basis of moral righteousness is whatever an individual believes. And the problem with that is that you have individuals that have varying degrees of what is right. In fact, if you were to talk to some of the more notable serial killers in the history of the United States, many of them didn't think that what they were doing was wrong. In particular, and I don't want to get too graphic this morning, but in particular, when you have certain criminals that focus their conduct on a certain segment of society, and let's just say this morning, you know, prostitutes. Some of these serial killers actually thought that they were doing society a favor by getting rid of these prostitutes. Is that morally right? Because the criminal said and thought that it was morally right? Do you see what I'm driving at? There has to be a basis for our moral righteousness. There must be a basis further for our legal righteousness. Because a nation would pass a law that is ungodly and is immoral does that mean that that law is righteous of course not we just went through this with multiple issues before the supreme court not only last year but this year and so what is the basis for moral and legal righteousness very simply it's this the word of god the word of god i want you to turn with me in your bibles to deuteronomy chapter number 4 verses 4 through 9 I am not espousing this morning that we create a theocracy in the United States. I'm not saying that we should force people to be Christians, and we should force people to be a particular denomination. In fact, you know that at our nation's inception, they tried that, and it didn't work, right? And so then you get separation of, uh, uh, you know, of, of the uh, state and religion, right? There's that wall that's built that is uh, oftentimes misapplied, and it's not at all what Jefferson meant. Uh, Jefferson simply meant that we're not supposed to establish a state religion, right? Not that you wouldn't have the freedom to practice your religion according to the dictates of your conscience. And so, I'm not saying this morning that we take the Bible and we institute all the civil laws that apply to the Jews, and, and all of the laws that are practiced in the Word of God as it pertains to things relating to church polity and practice and that type of thing. But what I'm saying is this that the Bible is the basis for moral and legal righteousness. What we learn from the Word of God gives us the basis to know what is right and what is not right. Now, notice Deuteronomy chapter number 4, verses 4 through 9. Deuteronomy chapter number 4, verses 4 through 9. Actually, let's just go back. I was trying to limit what I read this morning, but I think it's appropriate to go back and and see the context. And so we're going to begin in verse number 1. Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse number 1. The Lord writes through Moses, Now therefore hearken, O Israel, unto the statutes and to the judgments which I teach you for to do them, that ye may live and go in and possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers giveth you. Ye shall not add unto the word which I command you, neither shall you diminish aught from it, that ye may keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I commanded you. Your eyes have seen what the Lord did because of Baal-peor. For all the men that followed Baal-peor, the Lord thy God, hath destroyed them from among you. Now watch verse 4. But ye that did cleave unto the Lord your God are alive every one of you this day. Behold, I have taught you statutes and judgments, even as the Lord my God commanded me that ye should do so in the land whither ye go to possess it. Keep therefore and do them, for this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the nations, which shall hear all these statutes and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what nation is there so great, who hath God so nigh unto them, as the Lord our God is in all things that we call upon Him for? Now watch verse 8. And what nation is there so great, that hath statutes and judgments so righteous as all this law which I set before you this day. Only take heed to yourself and keep thy soul diligently, lest thou forget the things which thine eyes have seen, and lest they depart from thy heart all the days of thy life, but teach them thy sons and thy sons' sons. Do you see what Moses is saying to the people of God? You have a righteous law. You have the Word of God which God gave to you that is the basis of moral and legal righteousness. You will be looked upon as the greatest nation on the face of the earth, blessed by Almighty God, if you listen to and keep these commandments. Now, what do you think of when I say the term God's commandments? Of course, collectively you think of the Bible, but do you not think of the Ten Commandments? Is there anything wrong with the Ten Commandments? Is there anything that could get us in trouble if we said, well, you know, as a as a nation, we ought to look to and keep the Ten Commandments. Beloved, I'm going to tell you, that helps a nation. Righteousness exalteth a nation. A nation must have righteous and moral and legal laws that point to what is right, what is just. The Ten Commandments, in case you don't know it, are still displayed in the Supreme Court of the United States. Now, in Stone v. Graham, which was a 1980 case decided by the Supreme Court, the Supreme Court in 1980 ruled that a Kentucky law that required the posting of the Ten Commandments on the wall of every public school classroom violated the First Amendment because they said that the purpose of displaying the laws was to establish a particular religion. How can that be? How is it possible that the command that says, thou shalt not kill, establishes a particular religion? Now, in 2015, the Supreme Court in McCreary County versus the ACLU ruled 5-4 to four that the Ten Commandments could not be displayed in court buildings or on government property. Now, biblical laws could be displayed in a historical context, and that's how the the Ten Commandments are still permitted to be displayed in the Supreme Court. But they could not be displayed, as was the case here in this uh, particular... Uh, Case before the Supreme Court where uh, Kentucky displays they violated the Establishment Clause of the First Amendment because uh, the Establishment Clause prohibits governments from endorsing or supporting one religion above another. Now how is the posting of the Ten Commandments supporting one religion over another? I submit to you this morning that righteousness exalteth a nation. What is righteousness? It is what justice is. It is what is right. It is morally and ethically and legally what is correct. And beloved, I'm telling you that we find that from the Word of God. If we don't have a basis for it, then every man does that which is right in his own eyes. And how did that work out for Israel in the book of Judges? Our founding fathers believed in the importance of the Holy Scriptures as the basis for what is morally and legally correct. Benjamin Franklin, who was a signer of the Declaration of Independence, wrote a letter to Ezra Stiles, who was the president of Yale University. He wrote this letter in 1790, and Franklin, who is often referred to as a deist or an unreligious individual, said in this letter, As to Jesus of Nazareth, my opinion of whom you particularly desire, I think the system of morals and his religion as he left them to us is the best the world ever saw or is likely to see now what is he saying he's saying that the morals and the religious system that jesus founded is found in the word of god how else do we know about it and so Franklin believed that we ought to use this system of morals. John Adams, the second president of the United States, who also was a signer of the Declaration of Independence, famously wrote, the Bible contains the most profound philosophy, the most perfect morality, and the most refined policy that was ever conceived upon earth. John Quincy Adams, his son, wrote, the Bible is of all books in the world that which contributes the most to make men good, wise, and happy. And then Elias Boudinot, who was a founding father and subsequently served as the president of the Continental Congress, wrote this, were you to ask me to recommend the most valuable book in the world, I should fix on the Bible as the most instructive both to the wise and the ignorant. These men understood the importance of having a basis for moral and legal rightness or righteousness. And beloved, they all agree that it was found in the Word of God, the Bible. And so we can't talk about righteousness this morning. If we say, well, you know what, I believe that righteousness exalteth the nation, but I don't want to hear anything about the Bible, then we might as well fold up and go home. The Bible is the basis of righteousness righteousness exalteth the nation and so what is righteousness we've defined it for you the second question our text poses is how do we recognize righteous righteousness and here we want to think about its display the display of righteousness how can we know true righteousness is present in our nation how can we know that well first of all we know it in this way when our government fulfills its responsibility, when our government fulfills its responsibility, turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Romans. And in particular, and you, you'll recognize these verses this morning, in particular, we're going to turn to the 13th chapter of the book of Romans. How do we recognize righteousness in our nation? How is it displayed? It is displayed when our government fulfills its responsibility, and that relates, first of all, to the proper conduct of government. The proper conduct of government. Now read with me Romans chapter number 13, verses 1 through 6. Romans 13, 1 through 6, let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained or appointed of God. And so, in verse 1, Paul is making the point that human government is ordained or appointed of God. In other words, God wants us to have government. He doesn't want anarchy here on the earth. He doesn't want conditions to exist like consisted in the days, existed in the days of the judges where every man did that which was right in his own eyes because there was no king. God wants government. He says that government is appointed or ordained by Him. And then notice verse 2. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation or punishment. It's not talking about eternal damnation in hell. He's talking about punishment by the powers that be. For rulers, verse 3, For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. Well, what is good? What is good? What is good is what is righteous. And what is righteous is determined by the Word of God, is what is morally, legally, and ethically righteous. And so, do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. For he is the minister of God to thee for good, but if thou do that which is evil, be afraid. For he beareth not the sword in vain, for he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Wherefore, ye must needs be subject, not only for wrath, but also for conscience' sake. For this cause pay you tribute also, for they are God's ministers, attending continually upon this very thing. Beloved, I don't know if you understand this, but in verses 1-6, through 6, Paul is giving us an outline of what government is for. What is the proper role of government? Well, if we're going to see righteousness displayed in our nation, our government must fulfill its responsibilities by proper conduct. What is the role of government? The role of government is to protect the population from domestic and foreign harm, give the population safety and security. And how about this? Why don't we go back to the source document for this government, the founding document of this government, which is what? the Declaration of Independence. Listen to this. As uh, verbatim, I I recite this verbatim from the Declaration of Independence. That to secure these rights, I already read to you about the rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, right? So the, the framers write that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men. Government is instituted to make sure that our rights are not infringed upon, especially by the government. So the, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among them, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. That whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it, and to institute new government, laying its foundation on such principles, and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to effect Their safety and happiness. What is the role of government? To protect us and leave us alone that we might secure our own happiness. That's the role of government. The role of government is not to stand over us like a big brother and tell us what we can and can't do. Government is supposed to formulate righteous and moral laws for the protection of the citizenry. Can you tell me who is coming across the southern border? Can you tell me that? You say, what does that have to do with what we're talking about? The role of the government is to protect the population. And we have an open border where who knows who is coming across that border? Proper conduct of the government. Have you seen any reports of crime in New York City, San Francisco, Los Angeles, or Chicago? Come on, people! Righteousness exalteth the nation. How do we know righteousness is displayed? When our government is fulfilling its responsibility, the government's role is not to give you a handout. The government's role is not to provide you with your sustenance so that you can exist. Did you notice the reaction to the Supreme Court's decision that's this past week? on student loan debt relief. I, I read this to Darlene. Some idiot lawyer, yes, there are idiot lawyers. I hope I'm not one of them. <laughs> okay. Some idiot lawyer is, goes online complaining on social media about the fact that she still has to pay $200,000 for her law school debt. The only problem is that last year her and her husband bought a $1.2 million home come on are you kidding me it's our job to pay for your student loan debt you know what I, most of us here Brother steve I, I know you already had your degree when you went in but jim you got your degree after you're in the air force you know how i went to law school because i had my va uh gi bill is anybody going to repay me for that our nation today, and by the way, I don't expect any repayment. That was enough. Okay, uh, Our nation today views the government and the role of the government as providing them money. Now we're in this ridiculous situation in California where reparations are being discussed in the hundreds of thousands and million dollar range. It is ridiculous. That is not the role of government. How do we recognize righteousness? What is the display of righteousness? When our government is fulfilling its responsibility by proper conduct, and when our public servants are men and women of character. In 2 Samuel 23, verse 3, David's last words to Israel, The God of Israel said, The rock of Israel spake to me, He that ruleth over men must be just, ruling in the fear of God. You know what you have when you have nasty politicians who are only in it for themselves? you got nasty laws and nasty conduct. And beloved, I'll say to you right now, that's what we see in the United States today. W.J. Acum, who was an English Baptist in the 1800s, wrote that we regulate our political action by our duty to God. All political convictions should contain the elements of godliness piety and patriotism should be joined in holy wedlock. And I agree. Read the Bible. What does the Bible have to say about moral rightness and rectitude? Read the Ten Commandments. We don't want to force you to be a believer. We don't want to force you to be a Christian. But beloved, there are a, there's a basis for what is morally correct and right. And when a nation practices that, righteousness exalteth a nation. Edmund Burke, the famous statesman, Wrote, whatever is morally wrong cannot be politically right. Isn't that great? Whatever is morally wrong cannot be politically right. So how do, we, how do we recognize righteousness and how it is displayed in our nation? We recognize it when our government is fulfilling its responsibility. And secondly, when our citizenry respects one another. That's the natural outflow of righteousness. When we understand That we are all Americans. And that if we are not all Americans, and that's not the starting point, then we will always be a house divided. We recognize righteousness when our citizens respect one another. Now, if you kept your place in Romans 13, we read Romans 13 verses 1 through 6. Now, I would submit to you that if Romans 13 verses 1 through 6 is practiced by a nation, then what will follow is Romans 13, verses 7-10. through Look at Romans 13, verse 7. Render therefore to all their dues, tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor, owe no man anything but to love one another. For he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. Here it is. Here are the commandments. For this, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet if there be any other commandment. It is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Can you imagine what our nation would be like if our government focused on carrying out its responsibility? instead of trying to win votes by, you know, promising you're going to pay this person and do this for that person. If the government was concerned about its carrying out its responsibility, and then the citizenry would trust its government and look out for our fellow citizens. Does somebody who commits adultery with another man's wife or commits adultery against his wife, does that person love his neighbor? Is he thinking about how his actions affect his family or his, his, his uh, the, the family of the person that he's committing the adultery with? I submit to you that if you thought about that, you wouldn't do it. If you thought about how stealing would affect someone else, you wouldn't do it. But nobody cares about that today. They're in it for themselves. Because that's the, that's the example that has been set by our government. John Adams, the second president of the United States, I mentioned him earlier, but listen to what he wrote in his diary, uh, and I can give you the citation uh, so that you can look it up, but just suffice to say it's in his diary. Listen to this. John Adams wrote, Suppose a nation in some distant region should take the Bible for their only law book, and every member should regulate his conduct by the precepts there exhibited. Every Ember would be obliged in conscience to temperance, frugality, and industry, to justice, kindness, and charity towards his fellow men, and to piety, love, and reverence toward Almighty God. What a utopia, what a paradise would this region be. And isn't it true? Beloved, if we look to the Word of God, you know, the Bible says, Thou shalt not covet. And we said, Wow, you know, I probably shouldn't covet. Can you imagine the effect that that would have on our nation if all of the citizens of the United States said, I'm not going to covet. I'm not going to kill. Kill. I'm not going to steal. I'm not going to commit adultery. These are basic fundamentals, beloved. We're not talking about establishing the Baptist church as the church of the United States. We're not talking about forcing people to take an oath that they believe in uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. We're not talking about anything. We're talking about a basis of morality contained in the Word of God. And you might call them the Ten Commandments. uh, the, The rules of morality extend far beyond the Ten Commandments. But we're talking about righteousness exalting a nation. How do we see it displayed? When our government is fulfilling its responsibility? and when our citizens respect one another. Now let me ask you this. Do we have that in the United States? Is our government fulfilling its responsibility? Do our citizens respect one another? I'll let you answer that. That leads us to the third question that our text poses. In what way does righteousness exalt a nation? If righteousness exalts a nation, in what way does righteousness exalt a nation? And here we see that It is diverse. And what I mean when I say it's diverse, I don't mean it in the modern way that the word is used, but when I say diverse, I mean that it exalts a nation in many different ways. There are many different ways that a nation is exalted by righteousness. We ought to, first of all, consider that the word exalteth literally means to rise up above others. To rise up above others. Man, I could really get into trouble this morning if I mentioned the terms make America great again, couldn't I? And anybody that perhaps would listen to this on sermon audio should not deduce that I'm preaching a pro-Donald Trump message or espousing anything of the sort. What I am espousing is that as Americans of this great country, we ought to desire that America would be great. We ought to desire that our country would rise up above others. If you don't like that, and you think Turkey should rise up, then go be a Turkish citizen. If you think that some other country should rise up above the United States, then go be a citizen of that country. We're Americans. And there's nothing wrong with saying that we want our country to be great, that we want our country to continue to be the greatest nation on earth. I will never apologize for that. And neither should you. In what way does righteousness exalt a nation? It is diverse. How how does righteousness exalt a nation? A nation will be prosperous when it practices righteousness. It will be blessed of God in prosperity. Turn with me in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter number 28. In Deuteronomy chapter number 28, God outlines blessings and curses for the nation of Israel If they follow the commandments of God, notice Deuteronomy 28. We're not going to be able to read all the verses. Our time is slipping away from us here. But I want you to notice Deuteronomy chapter number 28. We'll just read verse number one, and then perhaps a few other verses, and then you'll be able to understand what Moses is writing about as he uh, encourages and exhorts the people of God to serve God. Notice Deuteronomy 28, verse 1. And it shall come to pass, if thou shalt hearken diligently unto the voice of the Lord thy God to observe and to do all His commandments which I command thee this day, that the Lord thy God will set thee on high above all nations on the earth. Is that not the definition of exalting? To rise up above others? Moses is saying, if you do these things, God will make you prosperous. How do we know that? Well, look at verse number 2. And all these blessings shall come on thee and overtake thee, if thou shalt hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God. Blessed shalt thou be in the city, and blessed shalt thou be in the field. Blessed shall be the fruit of thy body, and the fruit of thy ground, and the fruit of thy cattle, the increase of thy kind, and the flocks of thy sheep. Blessed shall be thy basket and thy store. Blessed shalt thou be when thou comest in, and blessed thou shalt be when thou goest out. What is he saying? He's saying that you will be prosperous. Righteousness exalteth the nation. In what way? A nation will be prosperous and blessed by God. And how about this? A nation will be prevailing. We will not be defeated by our enemies and by our foes. i got to tell you what's going on right now with the President of the United States is a shame. How are we not investigating somebody who was complicit with Ukraine and China and perhaps other nations? How are we not investigating that? We will be prevailing. Amongst our enemies. Notice here in Deuteronomy chapter number 28, verse number 7. Deuteronomy 28, verse 7 The Lord shall cause thine enemies that rise up against thee to be smitten before thy face. They shall come out against thee one way and flee before thee seven ways. It's talking about prevailing. In what way does righteousness exalt a nation? Well, it's diverse, there's many ways. By prosperity, by prevailing. And then thirdly, and I cut this short this morning, for time's sake, by producing preventive measures. By producing preventive measures. In other words, when we practice righteousness as a nation, and we see that God has exalted our nation, we say, you know what, we want this to continue. We want to continue to be blessed of God. How do we continue to be blessed of God? by following the moral rectitude and rightness that got us to the point where we are blessed by God. Now that brings us to the second phrase in Proverbs 14, verse 34 that we haven't addressed yet, but I want to address it here briefly. Notice in Proverbs 14, verse 34, Righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. It's a contrast. When a nation practices righteousness, that nation rises up above other nations, they are blessed by God. But when a nation practices sinful, shameful, debauch, immoral activities, that nation is a reproach. And the word reproach literally means reproof or shame. How is America viewed today? Do you think foreign leaders fear America? What do you think other nations think of when they see our president talking? Or, forgive me, trying to walk up the steps of Air Force One? Or across the stage? Or appearing on a news show where he's interviewed and he just gets up and walks off? We're a reproach. Sin is a reproach to any people. When sin, debauchery, immorality are rampant, we pay as a nation. I've been trying to give you examples of the state of affairs in our nation. A few weeks back, the White House hosted special events for Pride Month. You know, we have one day, Memorial Day, that recognizes the sacrifice of all those that served in uniform and gave their life for our nation. We have a whole month for homosexual and, 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 and transgender people. We have a whole month. It's Pride Month. Okay? The, the White House hosted a special ceremony on June 10th for their Pride Month celebration on the South lawn of the White House. Transgender advocate Rose Montoya, I don't know what his real name is, and two others had the decency to pull up their shirts and flash their fake breasts. And at that ceremony, the progress pride flag, and by the way, you want, to be, you, want to, you want to do some research? Did you know that there's not only a pride flag, but there's a progress pride flag? And they're different. And the progress pride flag is imminently displayed at the White House in between two United States flags. at New York City's annual Drag Queen Parade on June 24th. There was a group of hundreds of drag queens and other members of the LGBT community. They marched through New York City's Tompkins Square Park kicking off New York City's Pride weekend. Here's what they chanted. We're here, we're queer, we're coming for your children. You can Google it and watch it. Now, as as offensive as that is, it shouldn't surprise you because they've always been coming for your children. They've always been coming for your children. This is where we are at as a nation. I'm not trying to be Debbie Downer today. But righteousness exalteth the nation. Are we a righteous nation? How is it possible that this type of activity can be tolerated from the leader of the free world espousing this from the white house our founding fathers knew the risks of forsaking god and his law thomas jefferson of course you know the third president of the united states the drafter of the declaration of independence and signer of the declaration of independence wrote god who gave us life gave us liberty And can the liberties of a nation be thought secure when we have removed their only firm basis a conviction in the minds of the people that these liberties are of the gift of God? That they are not to be violated, but with His wrath. Indeed, I tremble for my country when I reflect that God is just, that His justice cannot sleep forever. He understood that sin is a reproach To any people. In what way does righteousness exalt a nation? There are many ways. One way is it produces preventive measures. The people say, you know what, if we want to continue to be blessed of God Almighty, we cannot continue down this path. And yet, what do we do? We continue down the same path. May God have mercy on us. Tuesday is the day that you perhaps will go to parades, you'll cook out, it's a day off work, you'll watch the fireworks, you'll enjoy all that comes with July 4th. But don't forget righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. I don't know what else we can do. We've sounded the alarm. We better wake up in this country. God has blessed us for so many years 247 years as a nation. Rome didn't last forever. Greece didn't last forever. Persia didn't last forever. Egypt didn't last forever. Babylon didn't last forever. We better get on our knees and beg God's forgiveness righteousness exalts a nation sin is a reproach to any people our text gave rise to three questions that we addressed what is righteousness we defined it how do we recognize righteousness we saw how it's displayed and then thirdly in what way does righteousness exalt a nation we saw it's diverse there are many different ways may God grant us his blessing may we be a righteous nation that puts away sin and desires what is morally and legally right in the sight of God. Let's pray.